Hi, and welcome to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We are heading towards the last few messages in our series on historic church liturgy. We've been giving you the background of all the elements of a church service and how and why each of them point us to the gospel and give us assurance and encouragement for our faith. Today we're looking at the elements of bread and wine and the Lord's table, or as it's often called, the sacrament of communion. These important symbols go hand in hand with the preaching of the gospel, and they engage our senses to help confirm that the gospel we receive is genuinely for us. Let's learn more now. Here's John with the gift of communion. All right, well, turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 23 to 26. So this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, we want to turn our attention to the second half of the church's worship, namely the service of the sacrament and specifically Holy Communion. In fact, in the service of the sacrament, all five senses are engaged, touch, taste, smell, hearing, and seeing. And so in the sacraments, the gospel is preached visibly to our senses. Um, Archbishop Thomas Cramner, who you're going to be learning a lot about because he wrote the Anglican formularies, the Confessions of Faith, the Book of Common Prayer, the Ordinal, great martyr of the faith. He said this, he says, for as the word of God preached puts Christ into our ears, likewise the elements of water, bread, and wine joined to God's word do after a sacramental manner put Christ into our eyes, into our mouths, our hands, and all our senses. He's exactly right. And so in the service of the word, there is the creation of faith. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. Peter says, you have been born again. You have been brought to life. Life has been created in you. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And this word that brought you to life, that is living and abiding, this living and abiding word, Peter says, is the gospel. It is the good news that was preached to you. Service of the word, the creation of faith. So God's new covenant promise is proclaimed in the service of the word. What is it? It runs from Genesis 17 all the way to Revelation 21 and everywhere in between. It's this same covenant promise repeated all over from beginning to end. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And so in the service of the word, God tells us through preaching of the word what our own hearts cannot tell us. 
What is that? That his son has satisfied the demands of his law and the old covenant, and he has redeemed us on the cross from its curse forever. And I have to hear that weekly. You see, the Holy Spirit in the service of the word, he takes the law and he kills us. And then he raises us up again in resurrected life with his gospel. And by the power of the preaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit refreshes our souls with the living water of Christ. That's what he's doing. He is nourishing us so that Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 2, so that we can grow up into salvation, so that we can mature in our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word, he causes our hearts to rejoice in the promise of glorified life. That's what happens in the service of the word. And then in the service of the sacrament, holy communion, there is not the creation of faith, there is the confirmation of faith. God's new covenant promise, which we have heard proclaimed to our ears, is now confirmed and assured to us in the service of the sacrament with all our other senses. This twofold work of creating and assuring is summarized in question 65 in the Heidelberg Catechism. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and he confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. Creation, confirmation right there. And so in the service of the Word, God's love for sinners is made audible. We have the audible Word in the service of the Word. But in the service of the sacrament, God's love for sinners is made visible. We have the visible word through water, bread, and wine. These are objective revelation from God, his gifts to us. And so the gospel and the preaching of God's word is audibly heard, and the gospel and the sacraments is visibly seen. Do you see that? Philip Hughes, a great English Anglican scholar, He writes this about the English reformers. He says, this word which audible in preaching becomes visible in the sacrament is essentially the word of God. So when attached to the promise of the gospel, the sacraments become the visible words of God. They are visible proclamations of the gospel. That is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread, the Lord's Supper, and drink the cup, the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It is a visible proclamation of the gospel. And so great is God's love and care for his people that he not only calls us into fellowship with his son by his word, but he assures us of his fatherly good will and eternal favor over us, his pleasure in us forever, binding us to himself, binding us together as believers in the church through the sacraments that Christ has instituted. And so the gospel of grace informs all parts of the service. In the service of the word, you, are, you hear the gospel. In the service of the sacrament, you see the gospel. And you receive the confirmation of what you have heard. In the book of common prayer, Thomas Cranmer used a special device 
built into the sequence, the flow of the service that takes the worshiper on a gospel journey. Don't you love that? Listen to what J.I. Packer explains it. He says, to join in a service of worship is to be taken on a journey through a prescribed series of thoughts and actions. How did Cramner secure this evangelical worship? He routed his regular services through a sequence of three themes. So here are the three themes. First, you detect and confess your sin. We did that this morning, right? We knelt on our knees. We heard God's law. We confessed our sin. Guilty, right? Guilty. Second, the second sequence is the announcing of grace and God's promise to pardon and restore the penitent through Christ. We receive that as you have confessed your sin. What comes next? The declaration of pardon, the comfortable words of the gospel, the absolution. For Christ's sake, you're forgiven. You can stand in joy and confidence before God because all your sins are forgiven. Third, the exercising of faith. First, in believing God's promise and trusting him for pardon, that is through the preaching of God's word, and then in acts of praise, testimony, intercession, obeying instruction, all based on the prior restoring of fellowship with God through forgiveness. And so basically what he's saying here is is that the gospel shapes the liturgy of the Book of Common Prayer, the liturgy of the worship of the Anglican Church. That's what Thomas Cramner was trying to give to his people back in England in the 16th century, and that's what we're trying to do here today. Shape the service so that the gospel shapes how we worship and how you live as a Christian. So the liturgy, we can sum it up like this, is structured with, with a threefold structure. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. It's exactly how the Heidelberg Catechism was uh, structured and laid out as well. What are the sacraments? They are visible, holy signs and seals appointed of God. They're visible signs. Let me show you. Every week in worship... We have a baptismal font, and this is the sign right here. Water. And when we worship, I stare at it the whole time because that is signifying and sealing to me my regeneration and washing and cleansing of the blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when we have the Lord's Supper, the whole time we have the Lord's Supper when we're worshiping, I'm looking at these signs. And I'm letting them point me to Christ and his saving death for me on the cross to lead me to Christ. And then I'm anticipating receiving these gifts at the end to confirm what I've heard preached to me is true for me. These are neon signs flashing gospel, 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 good news, good news. What you have heard in the service of the word is true for you. Doesn't matter how bad you've been this week, right? Because you all have been. (laughs) I have. I've sinned all week, right? It doesn't matter. It's true for you. These are objective signs of revelation that are outside of you. How can this be true for me? Because salvation is outside of me. It is in Christ. It's not in me. If I look in me, I find the problem. If I look outside of me, I find the answer right? That's what the sacraments do for us. Lead me out of myself to Christ. 
Christ is my salvation. They're visible, tangible signs that engage all my senses, touch, taste, smell, hearing, seeing, just as I can look at it. I can touch it. I can taste it. I can ingest it. It tastes very good. Catherine's homemade bread is exquisitely good, right? (laughs) Much better than those little round wafer things that you get. (laughs) Um, When you taste and see that the Lord is good, he's saying through that bread, taste and see how real and good your salvation is that I've given you. This is my gift to you. That's how this works. And so the sacraments cannot exist without the audible word. That's why preaching comes first. John Calvin said, quote, the sacrament requires preaching to beget faith. It's exactly right. And so because the sacrament is a visible word of God, it must always be accompanied by the preaching of the word of God to have meaning and to be a sacrament. But when attached to the promise of the gospel, as I said from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it becomes a visible gospel. And Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death through this table. And then the sacraments are holy. That is, they're just set apart by Christ. Christ took water, he took bread, and he took wine, and he attached a promise to it of the gospel, and they became a sacrament. So they're holy, they're set apart, they're not common. This isn't a common meal. This is a holy meal set apart by Christ. And lastly, the sacraments are seals. Have you ever wondered, you know, it's a sign and seal. A sacrament is a sign and seal. What is the seal? If I were to come to church today and say, everybody, I got a letter from the president. Here it is. And everybody's going to say, show me what? Show me the seal. Anybody can claim they got a letter from the president, but if it doesn't have the seal, it's not authentic. It's not true. The sacraments are are the seal of the king by the preaching of the gospel which is the speech of a king in the public assembly of his people God announces good news the king announces good news because Jesus is what? He is the king, right? And by the administration of his sacraments that is the seal of the king in the public assembly of God's people the Holy Spirit takes those seals applies it to the speech of the king and says this is true and not only true it's true for you right now this is why the second half of the service is so vital to our christian lives worship services that are always lacking in the service of the sacrament would be like receiving letters for a lifetime from the president without a presidential seal. You've just never had any true confirmation and assurance that it was ever authentic and real. Listen to what John Calvin writes about this. He says, we have determined that the sacraments are truly named the testimonies of God's grace. What is this table? It is a visible testimony of God's grace to you this morning. He says they are like seals of the goodwill that God your Father feels toward you. Do you know how big that is? Do you know how many people struggle thinking that God their Father doesn't think good feelings towards them? Lacking the assurance that God actually has goodwill toward me, 
Well, what did the gospel announce to the shepherds in the field? Behold, I give you good news of great joy. And and part of that was what? God's good will and favor toward man, right? The gospel announces this, and the sacraments are seals of the good will that God our Father feels towards us. He doesn't just tolerate you. It's not so. For Christ's sake, that's not so. And the, the sacraments are seals, guarantees of the goodwill that our Father feels towards us. And this goodwill, this confirmation of his goodwill sustains and nourishes, confirms, and increases our faith in Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 He says that all of God's promises in Christ are yes and amen. The service of the sacrament is to say to you, yes, God's promises announced to you this morning are really true for you. And so Christ instituted these sacraments so that we can more fully believe and experience the promises of the gospel more deeply. I love what an early theologian said about this. He said, what believers see with their eyes usually sink deeper into the soul and leave deeper impressions of themselves than those only which they hear with their ears. So we're a whole people. We're not just a big ear, right? We have five senses, touch, taste, sight, smell, and hearing. And so the purpose of the sacraments are to engage all of our senses to drive this gospel deeper and deeper into our hearts to assure us and empower us to grow in sanctification. Can you think of any time in your life that you've had really true love for God without first having had an enormous sense of his love for you first? No, I can't. I love what Walter Marshall says. He says, you cannot love God if you're under the continual secret suspicion that he is really your enemy. He says, you cannot love God if you secretly think that he condemns and hates you. This kind of slavish fear will compel you to some hypocritical obedience, such as what Pharaoh did when he let the Israelites go against his will. He says, but you will never truly love God if you're compelled only by fear. Your love for God must be won and drawn out by your understanding of God's love and goodness towards you, just as John testifies in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That is God the Father's perfect love for you in Christ casts out your fear of him. Perfect love casts out fear because fear consists of judgment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We are allured by his love, not driven by fear. And as he allures us in love, our hearts grow in faith toward Christ, love for God and love for our neighbor. And so you simply cannot love God, pursue holiness, progress in sanctification, unless you first understand and know how much God the Father in Christ loves you first. 
And that's what this whole second half of the service is all about. When you're coming down the aisle to receive these gifts from the gift giver, he is saying to you, I love you for Christ's sake. It's all okay. Neon signs flashing, it's okay. So just look to your own experience in this matter. The assurance of God's love for you in Christ is the great purpose of the service of the sacrament. And assured faith is the fountain from which your faith grows and obedience flows. What we've seen is this, is that the sacraments are signs of the gospel. They are visible gospels. Their meaning is fixed by the gospel. And God the Holy Spirit is the chief agent working through these means to assure and confirm and strengthen your faith. And so the essential movement in the service of the sacrament is from God to man. This is the Holy Spirit descending to you, coming to serve Christ to you. This is good news. And so what is the right reception of it? The right reception of his gifts is believing reception. It is faith. Just as we receive the audible word by faith, right? So we receive receive the promises of the sacraments by faith. You received Christ by faith when you heard the word, and you receive Christ by faith when you see the word. It's the same thing. And so what we have said to you, and what we're reminded of in the liturgy, as we're going to hear in just a moment, is this, is that these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Christ isn't in this bread. He is in your heart by faith. And so God's eternal favor is placarded before us in these humble signs of water, bread, and wine. And the Holy Spirit comes through these little humble signs to assure and more fully declare to us the promise of the gospel. I want to close with this insight from John Calvin. It's one of the most helpful, most encouraging things I've ever found and read. He says, Godly souls can gather great assurance and delight from this sacrament. In it, they have a witness of our growth into one body with Christ, such that whatever is Christ's may be called ours. That's just stunning. He says, as a consequence, we may dare assure ourselves that eternal life, of which Jesus is the heir, is ours, and that the kingdom of heaven, into which he has already entered, can no more be cut off from us than it can be cut off from Christ. He says again that we cannot be condemned for our sins from whose guilt Christ has absolved us since he has willed to take our sins upon himself as if our sins were his own. This is the wonderful exchange which out of his measureless benevolence he has made with us, that becoming son of man with us, he has made us sons of God with him. That by his descent to earth, he has prepared for us an ascent to heaven with him. 
that by taking on our mortality, he has conferred his immortality upon us. That receiving our poverty unto himself, he has transferred his wealth to us. That taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, which oppresses us, he has clothed us with his righteousness. That's just stunning. And all of that is said, yes, at this table. Father, thank you. We can't even comprehend the greatness of what we just heard. But we just thank you for it and receive it with thankful hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with faith to receive Christ, not only heard, but seen now at your table. Minister to us your gifts of grace and salvation and assurance of eternal life. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Communion. More from the series, The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests, coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.